Please open your Bibles with me as I read from this passage. It will also be located on the screen behind me and on the monitors in front of you. But if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. And it reads, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you. Well, if you are anything like me, you make New Year's resolutions. And it being January, maybe you made some uh, resolutions just a few weeks ago. Maybe it was to uh, exercise, you know, three to four times a week. Maybe it was that you needed to clean out that drawer in your house that has all the disgusting junk from like years and years gone by in it. Maybe uh, your New Year's resolution was that... um, Every week you were going to get out and you were going to experience uh, a new place, a new part of the city. Maybe you wanted to travel somewhere exotic. I don't know. Maybe it was something totally different. But one of my New Year's resolutions this year was to read one book a month. And so this month, I began with the classic King Arthur. I thought this would be a great book to start with, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I have been immersed in the tales of uh, King Arthur and the Knights of Lancelot and these adventures and duels and jousting and all these uh, great, exciting times. But every time that I put the book down, I have to leave that world behind. I, I close the book and I usually go to sleep if I'm reading at night and it really has no bearing on my life. It really doesn't affect the way I live. It's a great book, but at the end of the day... It's just a book and it's just kind of fun. And that's because I don't believe this book. It really doesn't affect me a whole lot. And in our series in Radical, for the past few weeks, if you've been with us, and if you're in a small group, we've been talking about various uh, crazy ideas. And if you've been with us for both Mosaics and Sunday morning, you've been bombarded with these ideas. And if you haven't been with us, these are ideas like uh, radical abandonment. Are we willing to forsake everything, our desires, our comfort, our relationships for the sake of Christ? And last week, uh, radical grace. Do we recognize the radical grace that we've been shown and do we live in that as a result? And even if you haven't been with us, you'll understand that these ideas stem from one source, from one book. From this book, from the Bible. And since these ideas stem from the Bible, we need to ask ourselves a question. We need to sort through an issue. Do you and I, do we believe this book? Do we believe the Bible? Or is it just another book like King Arthur? Does it just help you accomplish a New Year's resolution? Maybe just to read it more or look at it more in your life. Because I believe that radical abandonment and radical grace stem and play out in our lives practical because of a radical focus on God's word. 
But before we get into anything else, before we get into various ideas relating to that idea, we need to ask ourselves today, do we believe this book? So if you would, turn with me to 2 Timothy again, 3.14. It's towards the end of your uh, Bible, and if you close your Bible again, it's unfortunate because it's a fairly small book to find. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, and I'm going to read through 17 again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." Now, since we are not Timothy, we need to understand a few things before we get into this passage. You see, this was a letter written by Paul to Timothy. Paul was in jail because of uh, his proclaiming of the gospel, and Timothy was, much like me actually, just starting out in ministry. And so this was a letter of exhortation, of encouragement, telling him, this is what you're going to face, this is what you're going to go through. And so uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, and in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul, if you look he uh, looks at the godlessness that is in the world. He tells him, you are going to face these various issues. He talks about a world that is unholy, one that is unfaithful, one that loves pleasure more than it loves God. And as we approach our passage, he then switches to tell Timothy, this is how, in your ministry, you are to face and you are to battle these things. And in doing so, when we approach verse 14, Paul is going to encourage Timothy to look to Scripture. And in doing so, he gives us various ideas and various reasons why we need to answer this question, do we believe in the Bible? So look at verse 14 with me. There, Paul urges Timothy to continue on in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, like I said, this is Timothy's letter. This was written to Timothy, so we don't exactly get all of this. Who is this whom? We don't know whom this is because it's not written to us. For Timothy, he would have gotten it. But for us, we need to look back at the first chapter of 2 Timothy, because there, in verse 5 of the first chapter, it says um, that it was a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. See, Timothy has this massive faith. He has come to know and firmly believe in it because he had two amazing spiritual giants in his life. This is the whom. These two are accredited with Timothy's faith. They are the one who poured it into him. But if you look too, what is it that they poured into him day after day, um, night after night, so that now, even as he's starting out in ministry, that he firmly believes in it? Well, look at verse 15. It says, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy, from a young age, from early on, he had these two awesome spiritual women in his life. And what did they pour into him? What did they see of greatest importance? The sacred writings, the Bible. That is what they poured into him. And that's what allowed for Timothy now to grow up and to be able to start ministry, is that he has been grounded in the scriptures. See, Scripture is the start and the continuation of a firm belief. So why do we believe the Bible? Because it keeps us strong in the face of a a society just like Timothy's 
that is godless, that would rather pursue other pleasures, that has no uh, recollection for, or recognition of that which, is, that which is right and moral. We believe the Bible because it grows us up to have that radical faith, radical abandonment, and, and radical grace. But that's not all. You see, this is just the smallest of reasons, because if you look at the end of verse 15, we have this amazing, incredible, massive statement. I'm going to read verse 15 again. It says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't mix his words here at all. Why do we believe the Bible? Because it's how we understand our salvation through faith in Christ. It's how we are able to understand that radical grace that we have been giving. But look, look at this for a second with me, because when, when Paul says sacred scriptures, we understand it as the whole Bible, and so we think, yeah, the scriptures, the gospels, yeah, they point us to Christ. They help us understand our salvation. But we, what we have to get to is that Paul is talking about the Old Testament. Timothy would have understood the sacred writings as the various prophets, the writings of the Old Testament. And what we get from this is that not only do we look at the Gospels, but that the Old Testament proclaims God's uh, gift of grace through Jesus Christ just as loudly as the New Testament. And if you don't believe me, um, think of the story of Luke 24, 25 through 27. There, Jesus, post-resurrection, decides to take a stroll with these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And they don't know it's him, and so they're discussing various scriptures of the Old Testament. And Jesus, though they don't know it's Jesus, begins to explain to them, this is what the scriptures mean. It's talking all about Jesus. And they, these two guys go on their way, impressed with all that this other guy knew. Well, in that story, what we see that they don't see was that Jesus was proclaiming his own gift of salvation. You see, the Old Testament and the New Testament proclaim our gift of salvation, proclaim this, this idea of radical grace. And so we believe the Bible because it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe the Bible, not only that, but because it gives the ability to millions and millions who haven't heard to understand the gospel more. In the midst of this, this lovers of pleasure, in the midst of people who have the appearance of godliness who, but don't, it gives them the opportunity to understand their faith. That's why we believe the Bible. And these two reasons alone seem like a good reason enough but if you have any doubt, well, look on with me at the beginning of verse 16. Because now we get to our final reason, a reason that blows all doubt out of the water. Look at the beginning of verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. And if you're like me, if you've grown up in the church, you'll have known this as all scripture is God-breathed. Probably every one of those kids in there knows that verse. All scripture is God-breathed. That's like Awana 101, God's Kids 101. All scripture is God-breathed. We know this verse. But in that short phrase, we understand massively why we need to believe the Bible. So unpack each one of those words with me. When we say all scripture, 
before I touched on this, it really is the Old Testament, Genesis to Revelation. You say, okay, Paul recognized that the Old Testament was Scripture, but how do we know that the New Testament is Scripture as well, not just some great writings kind of like this book? Well, I'm going to read two verses, and you don't have to look there with me, but Peter, in uh, 2 Peter 3.16, is talking about Paul's writings. And there he says, As he, talking about Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them which are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter, in his letter, recognizes that Paul's word, that Paul's letters are scripture just as much as the Old Testament is scripture. And then Paul himself, in 1 Timothy, writes in 5.18, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And what we don't see in that verse, but that we come to understand, is that that first quotation is from the book of Deuteronomy. And that second one is from the Gospel of Luke. So even though they were written at totally different times, and even though um, they are understood in such different ways, they are both scripture. The entire word of God, all scripture is God breathed. That means every part from Genesis 1 run to the very end of Revelation. It's all scripture. But once we've understood that, when we have to go to those next two words, and I know that the guys looked at this, but it's great to drill this in. It says God breathed. We use it so frequently. This is God breathed. But what do we mean by that? Well, if you've been around for the past two weeks, God is the one who we believe is the one who uh, created the world. He's the one who offered us salvation. He's the one who demands these ideas of radical abandonment and wants us to live in that radical grace. That is God. And then breathe. When we say God, breathe, it is, yes, the word of God, but we also believe it to be the spirit of God in and uh, throughout the entire Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. It is the very words of God, it is, and it has the Spirit of God. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you look at our uh, church uh, beliefs, if you go onto our church website or you ask somebody on staff, they'll say, yeah, we believe that this book is, one, inspired, which means that God breathed it out, and then, two, that is without error. But where do we get that? Because you'll say, yeah, I I believe this. I understand this. But what we have to recognize is that this has a a big implication on not only what we think about it, but how we respond to it. You see, we believe that, and the men also touched on this yesterday, that God has various attributes, uh, various character traits that without them, he would no longer be God. Uh, For example, I had friends in high school who... Um, would go to McDonald's. And Japan is like renowned for um, amazing customer service. And so they, they thought it would be hilarious to take advantage of that customer service. So they would go to McDonald's and very politely say, excuse me, I would like a cheeseburger with no cheese. And the cashier would very politely say, okay, sir, you, you would like a hamburger. And they'd say, no, 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 we don't want a hamburger. We want a cheeseburger with no cheese. And they would very politely again say, uh, we get it, sir, you want a 
hamburger. And they say, no, we don't want a hamburger. Don't put us down for a hamburger. We want a cheeseburger with no cheese. And this would go on and on for, for like five, ten minutes until finally my friends would start cracking up and would have to like go out of the store or they would sometimes get kicked out of the store. Um, but the point is this. If you take the cheese away from a cheeseburger, it's a hamburger. You can't take it away and still have a cheeseburger. And though it's a, a funny connection, God, in the same way, if we take any one of his attributes away, he ceases to be God. If you take away the fact that he is almighty, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, he is no longer God. And one of the things that we believe is that God is true. It says in John 17:3 that they know you the only true God. And John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in Titus 1, 2, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the beginning of time. God is truth. It is part of his being. Meaning that all that he says, all that he breathes out, is without error. And in that, he cannot lie. And so when we say that all scripture is God-breathed, you get where this is going? None of it has error. All of it is truth. Every single verse, since it is all scripture is God-breathed, that means that not only did God give it to us, but that there is no error in it at all. So the biggest reason why do we believe the Bible, not only is it the basis and uh, continuation of our Christian living, not only does it make us wise for salvation through Christ, but it is the very word of God. And if you and I believe this, I think we need to have a radical focus on God's word because we understand the place that it has in our lives. And I think that most of us do believe this, but if we really do believe it, I believe that our lives as a result have to reflect this. And this is perfectly laid out in the rest of our passage. If you look in verse 16 again, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Four ideas. Four ideas in our Christian life that each serve an individual but different purpose. Look at the first two. Teaching and reproof, or teaching and rebuke, if you memorized it the Iwana way. Each of those, teaching and rebuke, have to do with doctrine. When we look at the Bible, there's various ideas, and we see them. And when we look at teaching, we know that the Bible is profitable for showing us what in this world is right and how we are to look at various aspects of the world. If we live in this world and we are born into it, we are infiltrated with wrong ideas. We are infiltrated with um, sinful ideas given to us by media, given to us by uh, fellow sinful even believers. But the great thing is, all scripture is profitable for teaching. It shows us what is right. And then on the flip side of that, all scripture is profitable for rebuke or reproof. Meaning that, yes, while we are shown what is right, we are also told what is wrong. And if we, are, if we have this radical focus on God's word, we realize more and more what in this world and what in our lives is wrong. And then that brings us to the next two words correction and training in righteousness. If we know what is right and we know what is wrong, then automatically the next step is that we correct that behavior which is wrong. 
The Bible is profitable for correction. We, we know what we are doing because we are, it's profitable for teaching and rebuke, and then we begin to correct those wrong actions. And then finally, it is profitable for training in righteousness. And we have to recognize here that none of us is there yet. None of us can say, okay, I've eradicated all that is bad. I have done that. I've understood what's right. I've done the teaching, the reproof, and the correcting, so I'm good. No, none of us is there yet. And so lastly, it is profitable for training in righteousness, for continuing to bring us closer to God, who is the righteous one, knowing that we're never going to get there, but that the more that we look at Scripture, the more that we understand it, that Scripture allows for us to be trained in that righteousness. And so when we look at God's word, we understand, we understand its place in our lives. We understand what it does for us. We understand that if we are radically focused on God's word, that we need to recognize that we need to be taught from it, corrected from it, rebuked and trained in righteousness. Just as if uh, I were to try and uh, study what is right if I was trying to get my driver's permit, we recognize that in this life, because we recognize the place of God's word, that we need to be constantly studying it because it is profitable for all these things. In the first two messages in our series, Pastor Ralph challenged us and is continuing to challenge us to live radical lives, looking at what it costs, our comfort, our desires, our relationships, radical abandonment. And then last week with radical grace, he reminded us that when we look back to our former lives, that when we are uh, realizing the grace that we have been shown, that we are motivated to action. And so now as we approach a radical focus on God's word, it means that we recognize that this Bible has a place in our lives and it is profitable while we look at radical grace, while we uh, see how it applies to our lives, that it is what takes us and moves us and allows for us to live in that radical grace. But you see, not only is it the basis for our living, not only should we be focused on it, but as a result, if we have radical focus on God's word, our life should reflect it. Our every action and deed should reflect that word. Look back at Paul's closing words in verse 17. It says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what happens when we are stayed upon his word, when we are focused on his word. This is the result. This is what it all culminates to. We are complete equipped. Complete and equipped. Yours might say thoroughly equipped. It might say completely equipped. But the point here Paul is trying to make is that, as one author said, you are super equipped. You have everything that you need. If we have a radical focus on God's word, we're lacking in nothing. And Paul says this, Paul's writing this because he's just looked at the godlessness. Mine says the godlessness in the last days. This is what Timothy is going to be facing. This is what you and I face. But the amazing part is this. If we have a radical focus on God's word, we are completely equipped. No matter what the world throws at us, no matter what you're encountering in your job, in your life, in your school, wherever you're at, you are completely equipped if you have a radical focus on God's word. But then 
It is for a purpose. Look at those last three words in our passage. You are complete, equipped for every good work. We are not just equipped so that we can have the right understanding, so that we can learn. The men didn't just study for the sake of studying. It is so that we can be equipped for every good work. We have been given this, this word, God's word, so that we can go out and do it. And think about the radical grace that we talked about last week. We talked about a radical grace that um, as a result of it, as a result of what we've been shown, that we want to exemplify Christ in our every actions. That is what a radical grace should move us to do. Connect that with this focus on God's word that we have been giving everything that we need. We should be believers. We should be followers who desire to exemplify Christ and should be itching to live it out because we have everything. We are lacking in nothing. We are super equipped to do God's work. And the result of this, if you and I are living in this way, if we have a a radical focus on God's word and we've been gripped by that grace, is that other people should be taking notice. This whole idea of radical, we're the weird ones. If you and I are doing this, we're the ones that don't make sense in this world. And so if we're living in this way, The world should take notice. Because our world, as it says, our world is so lost, so needy, it would pursue everything else. Those pursuits are all useless. And so what do we see in our world as a result? We see so much lostness. We see those who are hurting beyond what we could ever imagine. We see those who are, are sitting, who have lost everything, who are poor, who are needy. All because they do not have their focus in the right place. Thankfully, we have been given the answer. We have been given all that we need. We are completely equipped. So not only are we enabled through God's word to have the answer, to do what is right, but I think if we have a radical focus on God's word, we are commanded to do what's right. We are commanded to address those needs we'll see more and more that we have been given all this, that we have been gripped by this grace, that we have been given God's word so that we can meet those needs. The world is hurting. There is so much going on. And as Pastor Ralph shared last week, if we have been understood in that grace, we can't help but meet those needs, those physical needs and those spiritual needs. So look with me. If, if you're in any doubt, look at what the Bible says about this. As we focus on God's word, look at what this says. In Deuteronomy 15.11, it says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in the land. There's always going to be those people. There's always going to be in this sinful world hurt. Proverbs 28, 27, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And then here's the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 35. He's speaking to his disciples, and this is well known. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it for me. And Jesus here is speaking about who are those that are going to be in heaven with him? Who are those who are in the final judgment going to be told, Well done, good and faithful servant? It's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, These are the ones who address the needs of the poor. And as we looked at last week, this is not an if-then. We do not earn our salvation through the way that we meet the needs of those around us. But the Bible's really clear that if we've been gripped by this grace and as we have this radical focus on God's word, we can't help but meet those needs. And if you've been in a mosaic, you've heard this verse, but this one sums it up so well. 1 John 3.17 But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Think about what this is saying. You and I, we, uh, we lack for nothing. You might say, okay, you don't understand. Uh, I don't have a lot of money right now. I'm not doing well. I understand. But you and I, sitting here, if we were sitting here this morning, we are the ones with the goods. We are the ones who have And what John is saying here is that if we have and we do and we do nothing, how can the love of Christ abide in us? There's no way that we can see the needs of the world around us. And being in this position, we have to do something. And those people who address it, if we have a radical focus on God's word, those people who address the needs, they are the ones who the love of Christ is reflected through. But there's a second part that we can't neglect either. A second part that must go hand in hand with our care for the poor. Um, God's word is clear that we have to, at the same time as we're addressing these very felt physical needs, we must address the felt spiritual need. Romans 10 says, How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? If we totally address this physical need, if we do everything that we can to um, address the needs of people behind us, you put stuff aside so that you can give more, so that you can um, help the person around you, but at the end of the day, if they have not heard the gospel, they are still lost. And so I believe that if we have this radical focus on God's word, that yes, we must address the physical needs of those around us, but that we also must look at the underlying spiritual need. These have to go hand in hand. And if we totally neglect one, but totally do another, God's saying, you're not being true to my word. We have to do them hand in hand. We have been thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's why the title of this message says, God's Word for God's World. We've been given this book so that we can address the needs of those around us, so that we who have the answers, who understand this radical grace, can go into the world and address those physical needs and those spiritual needs. So what will we do? If you and I believe the Bible, we can't sit back and do nothing. 
if, if you really believe this book, if you believe that it is the basis for uh, your understanding of your faith and going forward in the world, if you believe that it makes you wise for salvation through Christ, and if you believe that all of it, all Scripture is God-breathed, that this is the very Word of God, you can't do nothing. Because it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness. It gives us all that we need so that we are equipped for every good work. What will we do? Our church has five focuses. And if you have a bulletin, if you look on the back, number four says, lovingly encourage those in need. Our church holds, and by printing this on the back of the bulletin, we as a congregation, you and I, all of us here, and even more so if you're members, we have dedicated ourselves, one of the focus, to be lovingly encouraged, to lovingly encourage those in need. How does this play out? How do we do this? How are you and I going to do this? Does this mean maybe for you that you um, spend an extra five minutes um, outside your building seeing that one person that you see every day and you not only just uh, give him the occasional quarter, but that you build that relationship with him? Maybe that means for your mosaic that you dedicate yourselves to once a month welcome in some of the men in the mission home. And you don't just feed them for the sake of feeding them, but if you are focused on God's word and you want to lovingly encourage them, that you build that relationship with them. Maybe it means that you uh, spend time each week and you uh, take a meal to someone nearby you. And you recognize that not only their physical need, but you spend time with that family trying to show them the spiritual darkness that they are living in. Our church claims to be committed to this. How are we going to do it? How are we going to embrace this? How are you and I going to do it? I would challenge you, and I want to challenge, if you're in a mosaic, I want you guys to think about this this week. I want you to just begin to think, how can we, as a mosaic, or as a various ministry, how can we address the needs of those around us? There's various examples, but maybe for you, you've been just burdened with something, something else. Our neighborhood is so filled with needs, and if, if you and I are continuing on in this radical grace and these radical ideas, we have to address these needs. So I would challenge you individually this week. Take time, stop and think, do you believe this book? Do we believe this book? Because if you do and you answer that correctly, and if you say, I do believe this book, as to what you claim and, and what our church holds, then there should be no way that you can just sit back. So I would challenge you. Think about that. Read this passage over it. And, and if you come to the conclusion that you really hold all this, that you believe this book, and you do want to have a radical focus on this book, I challenge you, how are you going to live it out? Think about that this week. How are you going to make a difference? How are you going to address these needs? Because we can't sit back and do nothing. 
we can't just go on if, if we truly are living in a radical grace. We need to address these needs. So I challenge you this week, think, what will you do for the needs of those around you? Let's pray. God, you have given us your very word, spoken to us so that we might live 